What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us. This is Danny Langloss. Hey, if you're not following us on LinkedIn, please connect, follow us. We're posting daily leadership, mindset, motivation content. Also linked in this podcast description is an article we wrote titled Employee Engagement 10X, The Seven Pillars of Ownership. Ownership changes the game. Ownership is our team members' extreme psychological and emotional commitment to the team, to the organization, to our goals, to our purpose. It's when people do things because it's important to them, not because they're told to do it. Changes everything. All right, here we go. Let's get after it. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today we're joined by Sam Palazzolo, and we're going to be talking about leading organizational change, such an important topic, especially in today's world where we're always pivoting, shifting, being creative, being innovative. Sam is the founder and managing director of Tip of the Spear Ventures, which is a private equity firm that provides early stage entrepreneurs with venture capital, has a holding portfolio from mergers and acquisitions, and conducts business funding services. Sam's an entrepreneur, venture capitalist, author, leadership professor, speaker, and nonprofit philanthropist. He's published five books, two of them, The Influential Leader, Leading at the Tip of the Spear, The Leader. He's also an adjunct professor at UNLV, teaching leaderships there. Sam, welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Thank you, Danny. Nice to be here. Sam, can you, sh- you you're doing a lot of things. This is going to be a great conversation. I can tell from when we just met each other here a little bit ago, you're involved in so many cool things. Can you tell us a little about yourself and you know, your journey, what's led you to where you are today? Yeah, sure. I, I'll, I'll flash all the way back. So born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, uh, go figure, a guy from Detroit goes to work in the car business where I spent about 20 years, did everything there from uh, work my way through college as a UAW member on an assembly line. So I get manufacturing. I worked wholesale distribution with a couple of different manufacturers like General Motors and Toyota Lexus. Uh, And then I ultimately went and worked retail. So I had one of my favorite dealers recruit me, kind of gave me one of those offers I couldn't refuse. And so next thing you know, I was helping him run his automotive empire. Uh, But, you know, it's it's one of those things. My life kind of took a pivot after that. I had young kids, uh, decided that I wanted to kind of stop working automotive retail, which is like working retail for a lot of different industries. The hours can be long. And so I got the bright idea that I was going to throw out my own shingle start a consulting firm, which uh, nobody told me there were going to be even more hours involved with that. Uh, But my daughters were young at the time, and it gave me the opportunity to spend time at home with them, as well as work on some consulting projects. Uh, You know, that consulting firm started out as a sales biz dev consultancy, and it pivoted to a leadership development type of a uh, firm. And I say that because, you know, we could have continued to do sales biz dev consulting, uh, but there's such turnover at that role or entry level. If you're not working with leaders, you're not affecting change within the organization. You're not hitting the metrics or KPIs that we identified. I did that for about six years. And then again, had one of the CEOs I was working with give me one of those offers I couldn't refuse. He had an idea for a tech startup. We got together and uh, he told me about it. I love the idea. I asked him, you know, how can I help, which is my nature. 
you know, you want me to act as a mentor, sit on an advisory board, board of directors, what can I do? And he said, I'm glad you like it. I want you to help me run it. <laughs> and I said, you know, I just, I spent six years growing this consultancy from myself, single shingle to 20 people. We were working on projects both domestically here in the U.S. as well as internationally. We were doing a lot of work in, in the UAE. Um, and, and it was one of those things where he talked, Danny, I listened. He talked really well. And the next thing you know, I'm off ramping from this consultancy firm that I'd grown. I uh, jumped headfirst into a tech startup. Uh, a great opportunity. It kind of challenged me uh, to do some different things, but we were able to successfully raise $8 million straight out of the chute. Um, it gave us some really nifty, deep pocket funding to do some great development. I implemented the same type of sales biz dev blueprint. We'd been helping organizations around the world implement and execute. We grew that true hockey stick revenue graph, <laughs> the one of myth and legend. Uh, anyway, long story short, at about the 18-month mark, we had a couple of private equity firms that were interested in what we were doing, um, one of which became real interested at the 20-month mark. And at the 22-month mark, they acquired us. Um, I exited shortly thereafter and kind of took some time because, you know, working in a startup, and especially an entrepreneurial startup, you know, you got to wear a lot of hats. And uh, I took some time to think about what is the, the next journey going to be for me on, you know, what's the next step? And I identified, I really enjoyed that, the private equity experience. Uh, I've always prided myself on being an entrepreneur, having that entrepreneurial spirit and thought. And I said, that's, that's what I want to do. Um, and to this day, that's exactly what it is that we do at the firm that I founded, which is called Tip of the Spear Ventures. And we celebrate our 10-year anniversary this coming February. Uh, and it's been an amazing experience. We have two sides of the house. One is that venture side of the house, so we can get into it because there's a lot of leading change moments within it. On the other side of the house, we're still a consultancy. Uh, we do business transformation. I come from big consulting. I worked at Deloitte. I've worked at AN's change management uh, organizations. Uh, business transformation is essentially change. And, and so we're still a really good change consulting firm the focus is sales business development, uh, but we, we help upstream and downstream, I want to say, to make organizations more effective. And our client base, we're super fortunate. It ranges from the Fortune 500 all the way through the SMB market. So, so that's me. That's where I'm at right here, right now, amongst all the other things that you listed off in the intro. So thank you for the recognition. What, what an incredible, incredible journey. And it really signifies a couple of things that we're talking about. One is that leadership is our most valuable skill. And, you know, individuals, organizations, communities rise and fall with leadership and leadership and its principles transcend across all professions. And I don't talk about that a lot in the podcast because it's in the intro, but your journey and what you just shared with us demonstrates that very clearly. And there's one thing, if, if we are moving forward, and, and we're doing great things and we're creative and we're innovative and, and we're shifting and we're pivoting and it, there's got to be change. And so leading organizational change is such an important, important topic. Let's start with, with, with the need to have such a heavy focus in this area. Why are people so resistant to change? Why is change so difficult? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to this, Danny. This is, the, this is a slogan. I wish I could say that I came up with it, but it actually was on the gym wall <laughs> 
that was put there by the owner of the gym that I used to work out in Dallas at. And, and the quote went something like, nothing will change until the pain associated with staying the same is greater than the pain associated with change. So in other words, you've got to be more painful or in a more pain state staying the same than the pain that you'll experience as you head into the change initiative. Uh, so maybe it's one of those things where not taking the next step into the change moment is costing you money. Maybe it's uh, costing you sleep. <laughs> maybe it's some other pain point. Uh, but the perceived value of where you're going has to be greater than where it is that you're currently at. And for a lot of folks, you know, let's face it, we're willing to put up with a lot. You know, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And dancing with that devil we know, it's not ideal. But this is why I think people and most people won't advance into the change moment because it's painful, right? There's going to be some decrease in performance and productivity. You know, we, I was fortunate when I was with Toyota Lexus, we worked with Dr. Jerry Jellison of USC, the University of Southern California. And Dr. Jerry Jellison, go figure, a guy with two J's in his name, the inventor of the J-curve. The J-curve essentially states and shows that, you know, there's this period where you're considering change. And in that first step, you're kind of looking down into an abyss because there's going to be a decrease in performance and productivity. The decrease in performance and productivity, it's eventually going to bottom out, right? If you continue to make strides towards the change initiative, and there's a whole bunch of strides that successfully you can take. But ultimately, you'll push through a moment where you'll not only level out, you'll plateau, and then you'll begin to accelerate and the curve swoops up past your previous performance level and achieves a new height. And then guess what you get to do? It all over again. Do it all over again. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's goal attainment. And when you hit a goal, you got to set new goals. And that's what the J-curve is brilliant for and what Dr. Jerry Jellison kind of instilled in me in the work that I did with him. Perfect. 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 So whether you're leading a small change or whether you're leading a business transformation, when you're, when you're looking to lead change, where do you begin? You know, change begins at the top. You know, I'm, I'm a, and by the top, I mean the org chart top. Senior leadership has to identify that this is the direction we're going to go in and they have to set tone and pace for that new direction. You know, it's, it's great. Periodically, we run into organizations in our M&A practice at the firm where we have a, a kind of a groundswell where the change occurs as a result of what it is that the folks on the front line are experiencing. But very rarely are those types of initiatives successful. I guess think about it, think of, you do a lot of workshops and webinars I saw. And think about those types of workshops and webinars where somebody in the organization participates in them and then they go back to the office and they say, or the virtual office today, and they say, I just saw this thing from Danny. We have got to implement it here. And what's the boss typically say? We're not doing that. <laughs> Throw that stuff out. You know, I don't know who this Danny is, but Danny's crazy. And I'm the boss. The reason why I get the big bucks is because it's a pride and an ego moment, but I'm the best. And so we're going to do what it is that I say we're going to do. 
It doesn't matter how good, because I know your content. I've read it. I've seen it. It's excellent. Thank you. But it doesn't matter. If the change initiative doesn't occur at the top of the org chart, it very rarely gets put into play. Yeah. And what you're talking about there is something we're hoping to make an impact in a den in, you know, and, and you look at the, the, the really hockey stick in, in the base of it being traditional leadership, top down micromanagement ego. If it's not my idea, it's not happening. And then as you move up the handle of the stick, you know, you have your more 21st century leadership leading the whole person, you know, inclusion, empowerment, innovation, you know, cultures of change, but I'm with you. You know, I've been to so many trainings in my career and early in my career, I knew that unless we found a way to make the change, the boss's idea, there was no chance the change was going to happen. The other thing you talked about is it starting at the top. I think this is so important in, in change management is it isn't just the top leader that, that needs to be on board. You really have to have your top leadership team. And you said senior leaders mm-hmm. and and this whole concept of speaking with one voice, because whenever we move forward in a change and we'll have it out, we'll have conversation, we'll proactively communicate with our senior leadership. People have a chance to get their, their input. But when we decide to go as a direction, we got to lead with one voice and that starts the, the, the foundation to have successful change. Uh, You're exactly right. You know, excuse me, professor Cotter from Harvard business uh, school, He has his famous change model, seven steps. One of them is that communication channel. And I'm convinced that it's the most often overlooked item because everybody thinks, no problem. We've got this change. Everybody's going to be able to understand what the change initiative is. They're going to be able to go forth with it, implement it and execute it according to plan. It's going to be perfect. But nobody ever works a thorough communication plan and a cascading communication plan downstream. One of the organizations that's within our portfolio, we actually learned something from. Their leader holds a monthly state of the business. It's the state of the union. This is where we're at. This is where we were. This is where we're going. It's that type of a meeting. It's very brief. He does it the first Monday in a lunchtime meeting. It's 20 minutes, his presentation. He sticks around for up to an hour just to answer some questions and ask, you know, make some answers and provide insight into you know, further details if they have it. But the gist of it is it's a 20 minute presentation. The cascade communication channel that he creates though is a series of debriefs that get held by the senior leadership to mid-level leadership, mid-level leadership to frontline team leaders so that way they can have their most effective communication story about the vision of the organization and where they're going with frontline associates. Each one of those cascade channels of communication is debriefed in a longer time period. So while his presentation at the top, 20 minutes, first Monday, lunchtime, that's all he's, he's targeting. The frontline team leader, they have a packet of communication cascade playbook, so to speak, that's up to an hour's worth of content that they debrief with their teams on. So communication is crucial. That, that sounds like incredible leadership, a place you would want to work. You know, you can never have too much communication. Really, I've, I've never worked with a company or, or in our own organization where people are like, there's too much communication around here. I'm tired of knowing everything. So big. So it all starts at the top. You got to get your senior leadership on board. What, 
what is the next step? What is the next phase when you're looking at rolling out and creating this change? Yeah. So some of the projects that I worked on with Aon's change management group um, years back, we did something that in the time was revolutionary. Today, we would look at it and think, you know, oh, that's, that's, you know, what's so revolutionary about that today? But it's still very rarely done. And that is assembling a cross-functional work team to come up with the change moment. In other words, you know, people today that work in organizations, they want a hand in developing the future of the organization that they work at. They don't want the message to come down from high. Uh, they don't want it to come out as a result of a board meeting that took place. They want to have a hand in making the future. And so guess what? Give them that opportunity to put their hand in. You'll get better processes. You'll get better procedures. And your change implementation, it'll be executed because the people who came up with it are the ones you're expecting to implement and execute anyway. So get them involved. This is the crucial step that I typically see organizations not doing, that when they, they work with us in a consulting capacity, we come in and we implement. And they're kind of amazed at the results. It's not amazing to us, but it is amazing to them. Because if you think about it, you know, folks that work at a senior leadership, that level within an organization, they're really great at coming up with the strategy. They probably have executed at one time in their career, but it's probably not their current focus. So getting folks who actually do the execution, the work within the organization, those folks getting involved with the change initiative are crucial, Danny. Crucial, crucial, crucial. People support what they create. Yep. One of the change models that, that we use, because change management is such a big deal. And my background with policing, that I'm, there isn't much more police officers hate than change. And so the formula we came up with was involvement equals investment equals commitment. Very high levels of commitment, transition to ownership. We really, as we implement this change, we want people to understand what's in it for them. How is this going to be better for them? We want them to have a voice, to be involved. Because even if, even if you don't go in the, rec the direction of somebody's idea, the fact they had a voice and they had a say in part of this process makes all the difference in the world. And then to, to get them committed or excited or at least open-minded to give it a chance, right? Then they see the success of it or we tweak it if we need to, and then they can own it moving forward and they do it because it's important to them not because they're told they have to do it. So this whole idea of this cross collaboration, getting people involved, boots on the ground, such a, such a great, great thing. Yeah. No, it, it's like I said, it's mission critical. You know, we have great strategies that go unexecuted and not implemented. And the reason isn't because these strategies are, are too high level. They're too complicated. They're too confusing. It's that, the people who we anticipate are going to be executing and implementing it, they, they didn't have a hand in making it. So give them that hand. That's, that's kind of the simple method to the madness. So we've got a vision. We're kind of creating a strategy. We have these cross-functional groups, people being involved from all levels of the organization, right? Picking like, when is the moment you talked about, the change moment? What, what yeah. comes next? I think the, the thing that should be the silver thread that ties everything together is why are we doing this, <laughs> right? You know, 
I helped a lot of organizations back in the 90s put together their mission, vision, value statement. Um, I, as a matter of fact, I, 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 I'd like to think it was that type of work that put my daughters through college. <laughs> but, but I can share with you that the mission, vision, and values statements of an organization today sometimes get lost. They're, they're maybe too confusing. They're too flowery. Um, people can't describe exactly what it is that we're doing and why it is that we're doing it. For, for most organizations that simplify mission, vision, values, and make certain that it's the silver lining or the silver thread that ties everything together, they, they focus on cash. <laughs> if cash is king and nothing happens in this organization until we sell something, we got to figure out how it is that we are going to dominate and everything it is that we do from a change perspective orients towards bettering that cash position. So that's the, that's the piece of advice that I would give. Do your mission, vision, values orient around cash? And is cash the focus regardless or a checkup question? Think of it as a quality control process where you're ensuring that whatever it is that you're anticipating doing, if it's the same, if it's doing different, does it fall alignment with orienting towards that future cash position? So as you're doing that and you're talking about the why and you're orienting that, obviously at the strategy at the top of the organization, if what we're doing doesn't put us in a good or a better cash position, we're going to have trouble you know, making the paychecks of our people, right? We're going to have trouble being sustainable in business. But does that is that part of the message and the why to the people boots on the ground? Um, or, or how do you look at that? Yeah. How does it benefit? How does it benefit the, the frontline worker, right? What does this mean for us? I think that, you know, in a frontline worker perspective, you know, there's, there's numerous different ways to compensate them for job well done or for goal attainment. You know, I think the, the often mistake that I see leaders leading with when it is time to compensate our frontline workers is that they believe that money is the cure for everything. <laughs> and if we just pay them more, if we incentivize them more, if we provide them with a bonus, that we'll get more somehow. But today's work is more complicated than that. Their, their compensation form is non-compensation. The things that they want to receive aren't necessarily directly money. Indirectly, it, it is money, right? But there are things like um, time off. Um, in addition to paid leave, there could be, we're going to put you through a training program, such as yours, your workshops, your webinars. Uh, we're going to send you to a conference so that way you can educate yourself. We're going to provide you with even... <laughs> I have one organization where the, the organization where they have their 20 minute state of the business, the state of the union monthly, they, they have recognition for associates and they just give out $10 Starbucks gift cards. It sounds like the biggest no brainer ever mm -hmm. because guess what? It is, but I can tell you this much, <laughs> the recognition that the peers receive is one thing the, but the $10 gift card, these people go to battle to get that from Starbucks. So it's those little types of things from an alignment perspective with that mission, vision, values, the focus on cash, the focus on revenue attainment, 
those are the ways in which you can, you can help compensate frontline associates. Yeah. And I asked that question because I, I consult with several different companies and if, if the cash isn't rolling down to the team member, they're not as motivated by that. It's funny. We're having conversation at dinner last night with, with our family and about how money, as long as people are compensated fairly, money is a short-term motivator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Pink's book drive talks about the, the three pri- primary motivators uh, being autonomy, purpose, and mastery. And I think the fourth one you need to throw in there, you just talked about it is appreciation. Right. Right. And so the, the mastery you touched on there with going to trainings, having these opportunities to grow, to develop are, are so, so important. So really aligning the, the why to mission, vision, passion, purpose, um, but, but also to the economics of it. I, I, you know, I love the information that you're sharing here and it's just pure gold on your way to, to change management and change leadership success. Yeah, we, in the past, I did some work with Dr. Robert Cialdini, the world's foremost social psychologist and expert on the topic of influence and persuasion. He just came out with a new edition of his landmark book called Influence. I can tell you, he included a new principle of influence and persuasion, and it's the inclusion principle. It's the concept that we want to be as individuals a part of something bigger, a part of if the individual pieces, the sum is greater than the individual pieces is true, which it is with the inclusion principle. Each associate that's working at an organization wants to be a part of the organization, wants to be a part of their team, their department, the division, their company. And anytime you can tap into that as a principle of influence and persuasion to get people to come with, as opposed to maybe it's a rope you're trying to push, you'll get better results. Love it, love it, love it, love it. All right, so everything with change and change management, most of the time, right? Because of the the makeup of business organizations and leadership starts at the top, um, creating these cross-functional teams to get involved in the change and creating the strategy and, and the elements of it. Um, starting with why, aligning it to mission, vision, purpose, cash. All right. What's, what's the next step? Yeah, I think the, the thing that I often see, and this is coming from a, a, an accountant by training <laughs> who loves numbers, go figure. There's got to be a component where we identify what are the anticipated metrics or key performance indicators, the KPIs of the change initiative. In other words, this, this state of the business meeting that I keep referring back to, one of the elements that they take a look at is the big scoreboard up on the wall. They look at it. It's a daily reinforcement for everyone to look at to see based on the organization's key performance indicators or metrics, how it is that we're doing. You know, yesterday we did this much. Today we're doing that much. Um, a month ago, we were at that level. Are we doing better? Are we doing worse? If we're doing worse, what can we do to get better? It's all of those types of gap analysis and the conversations and the dialogue that that takes place. But maybe it's one of those things in its simplest term, what's that saying? You know, you can't manage what it is you don't measure. It's awfully difficult to manage if you don't have good measurement systems in place. And the key, it's kind of a tech world uh, moment, but if you have garbage going into those measurements, you get garbage out. In other words, you've got to ensure the accuracy with which your measurements are captured, right? 
do you have the right metrics and are they measuring the right aspects within those measurement characteristics? Yeah. So I think that that's another crucial component, Danny. You've got to have metrics and KPIs present. Well, and the metrics and KPIs and what you just explained for us is having them visible, having them as something people can see. Because if people are bought in and, and you're going through this process, right, they're either going to be motivated by the fact that we're rocking it and look at what we're doing and feel good about it, or they're going to be motivated by the fact that, hey, we've got to step it up. We've got to find a way to meet this goal. And, and when you roll this out and you have this proactive communication and that concept that you were talking about from the seven steps process, and people are really, they want to do it because it's important to them, having it out in front of them so we see it each and every day or every week or whatever, however companies put it out, what a powerful motivator and success driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's crucial. You, you've, you've got to know what the score is, right? What's the old saying in baseball? Can't keep score without a scorecard? <laughs> got to be able to keep score. Got to be able to keep score. All right. So we've worked through these steps. All right. We're, we're going after it. We've got our KPIs and all that. What, what's next? Are we, are we stepping now to, to, to a final phase of, of evaluation of that or where are we at? Yeah, I think that there, there needs to be this quality control moment. This is, I won't say it's necessarily the capstone, but I want to say it's the beginning of the, okay, great, now what moment? (laughs) Because a quality control system is put into place to basically identify, is the change initiative working? And if it is working, how effective is it working? If it's not working, why is it not? You know, when we bring folks into the firm, and I just had this conversation before you and I connected with one of our new associates, I said, look, I know that you think that you're here just to do the tactful, the, the execution, the day in, day out, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch you. I'm going to task you with 20% of your time needs to be thinking of what is next best, okay? In other words, I need you to pull up and think strategically about what it is that you're doing and where it aligns within our mission, vision, values of where we're going as a firm. Because I'm really interested in having that frontline associate provide us with the input that's going to help us change. I look at that as a quality control moment because again, based on the numbers, if the numbers aren't going where it is that we want them to go, we we need to make some modifications. And that's what a quality control process is. It's not only going back upstream through the process to help identify, we think we see smoke. (laughs) We know there's got to be fire in there somewhere. It's actually identifying what's causing that fire. Um, Is it the spark that causes it? Is it maybe the dry timber that we've got present? But what's actually causing that smoke and what can we do and the fire ultimately? And what can we do different about that? So that way downstream, we get better results. Yeah. Couple of key takeaways for me is as we are doing well, even if we are doing well, how do we continually add layers of great greatness? What what's next, right? Um, the other thing is at every step you've talked about the importance of including people at every level of the organization. Those boots on the ground people as leaders. If you think if your puzzle's a hundred pieces, if you think you've got a hundred all hundred pieces, you're in a lot of trouble. It, doing an incredible job as a leader, if you have. 80 or 85 of those pieces, you're really doing a great job. And so we need all those levels because we need all the pieces of the puzzle 
um, as we move forward. If we're going to, you know, really reach that level of organizational excellence and creating great teams and, and the quality control. So, right. It's not only, it's not only within the organization, Danny, you know, when I say seeking best practices or best, oh, yeah. it's actually not only internal, but it's external. You and I have probably been in those meetings where a consulting client will bring us in and they'll begin the meeting by saying, okay, let's go around the room and let's talk about how many years of experience we've got. Danny's got 25, Sam's got 20, uh, you know, Bob's got this, Jane's got that, Jill's got, you know, we, within this room here, folks, we have over 150 years worth of experience. And, and I think that that's a really great testament to the brain and horsepower that's assembled within an organization. But I'm going to be the first one to tell you that if that's your approach to change, you're going to get it wrong. And here's why. Mm -hmm. I did some work in the Bay Area. I spent a lot of time there, obviously, leading the tech startup. And one of the tech firms, one of the big ones that I, was, that I worked with, their folks didn't care. As a matter of fact, they felt as though <laughs> because they were a startup, because they knew that, you know, we have relatively inexperienced folks working here. But the one thing that we do have working for us is technology. We're a tech firm, we get technology, and we know how to Google. <laughs> and so within their principle was everything it is that we want to know about this subject is within five pages of a Google search. And so imagine going from novice to subject matter expert in five pages on a Google search. That was their mission. That was their methodology. But I say that they didn't care how much expertise they had in the room because they felt like they had the expertise of the world surrounding them. And a lot of times I go into these organizations where they do very much look at it and part of its pride, part of its ego, but they're only interested in, in hearing from the people that are internal to the organization. Our challenge is, is to get them to open up. Initially, first, maybe with some strategic partners, some vendors, because vendors who call on your organization also call on others. They're a great resource for external information. But more importantly, you've got this whole internet thing. <laughs> Do a Google search. Go five pages deep like our client does. You'll get all kinds of good information. Yeah, you're really destroying that groupthink. You have to, you know, I'm always attending conferences, networking and those things. But even with my mentors, I've got five mentors from five different professions. And, and it's amazing as we go in to places as consultants, right away, we see things, different things, ideas. We stay, And we talk about it. And it's like we've made a revelation. It's like, no, down the street, they're doing this and on here, they're doing that. So that importance of bringing in the outside ideas, you know, going beyond those four walls. As soon as we think we have all the answers, we're done. Right. You know, that becomes a real fixed mindset thing. The growth begins to go. So as we wrap up here and come to the end, before your call to action for our listeners, if you have one, uh, is there anything else you want to button up? Anything else I didn't ask about important as we lead organizational change? I think the, the four pillars that we talked about loosely, and I'll just summarize them, you know, the things that we work on organizations or with organizations on from a business transformation perspective are first and foremost, strategy secondarily execution, third is that cash or revenue drive position, and the fourth one is the all too important people. People are our most important asset. I had a leader share with me, uh, let's make them that. You know, 
get them yeah. in the mix. So those are our four, our four big ones, Danny. Love it. Perfect. Perfect, Sam. So as we walk out today, any, any calls to action uh, for our listeners, something they can do when, when they leave right now? Yeah, I, I think that we have, I mentioned those four pillars. We created a series of success questions, we call them, that you can ask of yourself, you can ask of your team uh, that will help you orient around achieving success. We put together one for your listeners of the podcast today. I'm certain we'll put it in the show notes. It's uh, success questions on people, that all important asset that most organizations should take note of. 10 simple questions, but complex in the answer at which you need to approach those 10 questions. So that's our, that's our call to action and our takeaway and our gift to folks for listening to you and I, me primarily. So thank you so much for having me. Sam Palazzolo, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's a special gift for our listeners. It'll be linked in the podcast. Sam, where can people find you? If they're looking to connect with you, get in touch, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at a couple of places on the internet. Uh, Tip of the Spear Ventures is our private equity firm. Uh, the Zeroing Agency is our consultancy that's underneath the private equity. Uh, I also lead a private uh, nonprofit 501c3 called the Javelin Institute. So you'll notice that there's a central theme here with these organizations, Danny, that being things that you can throw or getting better aim and achieving targets. So but those it. three places. Love it. Love it. So all that'll be linked in our podcast description for people to go to ease of access. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. So today, Sam Palazzolo and I were talking about leading organizational change. Uh, the, the four elements, the four pillars that he kind of recapped there, strategy, execution, cash position, the people, you know, change begins at the top. It can begin from the groundswell. It's not that we don't think change shouldn't begin from the groundswell, but in the real world, change begins at the top. You don't have the buy-in of the senior leadership. It's, it's going to struggle in all of your senior leadership, uh, creating cross-functional teams, getting people at all levels of the organization involved in creating that strategy, creating this change, creating the change moment, the why, starting with why. How does this relate to our mission, vision, our values? How does it relate to our future, our cash position, and the KPIs, right? The key performance indexes, keeping them out there for people so they can see it. Incredible motivator. And that evaluation, the quality control, the look at what's next. To our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing so you never miss another episode. Give us a rating or a review so we can help reach people more organically. And remember, always be committed to excellence.